mobilized to support Planned Parenthood, women's reproductive health and rights, all that and more coming up next. Welcome to Thursday's Community Watch and Comment, the on-the-ground edition for October 29, 2015 on 89.3 WPFW, Pacifica's listener-powered station for jazz and justice in the nation's capital. On the Ground and OnTheGroundShow.org are devoted to coverage of social justice activism on the streets and in the suites of power. I'm Esther Averam. And I'm Brianna Rollinson. Today we're on the ground with activists in the fight for women's health. Now, even though Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court decision which made abortion legal in this country 42 years ago, remains the law of the land, there is a persistent movement to outlaw a woman's right to choose. Based on deceptively edited videos showing a Planned Parenthood staffer discussing donated fetal tissue for research, Republicans in Congress have held hearings, attempted to defund Planned Parenthood, and have even threatened to shut down the government in order to attempt the defunding. In the crazy circus that is the Republican presidential primary, the leaders Ben Carson and Donald Trump jockey to appear the most opposed to a woman's right to choose. In the meantime, Planned Parenthood offices have been defunded in some states, have been vandalized and destroyed by the fringe of this movement, which has committed acts of violence and even murder. The state of Texas has also just raided a Planned Parenthood office and seized patient records. So we will dive into all of this soon this morning. As always, we have a lot for you coming up in this less than an hour, but we'll start with our headlines. The South Carolina deputy who slammed a student on the floor and tossed her several feet has been fired after video of the violent incident went viral. Richland County Sheriff Leon Lott suspended Deputy Ben Fields without pay and then fired him on Wednesday. The civil rights organization Color of Change told CNN that the incident that the incident is another that calls for accountability. Rashad Robinson, executive director of the organization, spoke to CNN. Before we had this video, it was simply our word. We put out, you know, action alerts and calls to action. We raised the voices of everyday people when incidents happened. And now that this video evidence, video after video, almost weekly of these incidents, that video of that young girl being thrown out of her desk and onto the floor, and still no accountability in so many of these situations. And the FBI director has an opportunity not just to stand up and say what we have to do in this moment of black lives, but also what we have to do for the good police officers. How come we don't hear from the good police officers? How come we're not hearing from the FBI? Color of Change is also calling on CNN to fire commentator Harry Houck, who they say has repeatedly blamed black victims of police brutality and murder for the police violence toward them. Criminal and Justice Department investigations have been opened in the South Carolina school incident. There are several actions happening in D.C. this week. For example, the East Timor and Indonesia Action Network protested Indonesia's theft of mining resources from the people of West Papua. Code Pink and the World Can't Wait gathered outside the Air and Space Museum to protest an exhibit and talk by James G. Clark extolling the virtues of killer drones. The American Civil Liberties Union of the nation's capital hosted a program on prisons for profit. And residents of Mount Vernon Square Apartments in northwest D.C. and their supporters protested what they said was an effort to displace them. 
Chantal James was on hand at the action. On Monday, dozens of tenants of Mount Vernon Plaza apartments and their supporters came together for a protest outside the building in northwest D.C. Chief among their grievances is the fact that the Bush Companies, which owns the building, has notified tenants that they must pay an additional $600 a month in rent or move. They said that such a rent hike is an attempt to displace them. Appeals were made to the Bush companies as well as to Mayor Miro Bowser to stop the raise in rent and to allow tenants who have lived in the building for as long as 40 years to stay. Speakers stressed the fact that while homelessness is declining nationwide, it is rising in D.C. This struggle is tied to the struggle in South Africa. It's tied to the struggle in Palestine. It's tied to our Habesha people in Ethiopia. It's tied to our brothers and sisters in Northwest. It's tied to our brothers and sisters in Anacostia. And the only way that we can win this struggle is that we have the courage to be fearless and use our strength and energy to move any mountain that's in our way. So we should all leave here saying, Mayor Bowser, you have a place to live. And when we don't, we'll be at your house, black and fearless. Thank you. Attendees said they want Mayor Muriel Bowser to put an end to policies that drive longtime residents from their homes, threatening to displace her from office if such policies continue. They also called on the Bush companies to stop actions to displace them. Now, support for women and their families was also the concern addressed last night at a fundraiser co-sponsored by the Center for Health and Gender Equity. Brianna Rawlinson has more. Brianna? Change the Center for Health and Gender Equity held a fundraiser at Mr. Henry's on Capitol Hill last night to support their programs for women and girls around the world and to ensure that U.S. foreign policies support for women's rights. For example, last week they supported the fact that 28 senators had just called on President Obama to break barriers to safe abortion for women and girls raped in conflict. Some of their other goals are to promote reproductive health, family planning, and HIV prevention and treatment. I was on hand last night and spoke to President of Change, Sarah Siepel, and Executive Vice President of the Hunger Project, Dr. John Coonrod. I'm Sarah Sippel, and I'm the president of the Center for Health and Gender Equity, CHANGE, and we're a D.C.-based organization, a nonprofit, and we advocate on uh, global women's health and rights issues and U.S. foreign policy. So what we do is we advocate with Congress uh, and with the executive branch, with the administration, to make sure that our U.S. foreign assistance that we send overseas helps women and girls when it comes to access to health services and also to their rights and making sure that our money that goes to HIV AIDS, to family planning, to maternal health programs in the poorest countries, that women and girls, that their needs and their rights are, are met. My name is John Coonrod. I work for The Hunger Project. I'm very committed to ending hunger and poverty in the world, and most of the work that's being done in the poorest villages of the world is being done by women. And yet they live in these very... Uh, sexist, uh, you know, top-down patriarchal societies that give them no voice, no freedom of motion, no decision-making power, and yet they are the ones doing the work. They know what the village needs. They know how to fix things that aren't working. So working with the women in these villages to ensure that they have voice ensure that they have the right to organize, we see as absolutely critical to ending hunger and poverty in the world. The website for the center is www.genderhealth.org. Thank you, Brianna. And we'll definitely follow that move by those 28 senators to support safe abortion for women and girls raped in conflict. We'll definitely keep track of that. And so those are our headlines. We'll have more on women's health and rights later in the show, and we'll be right back with our culture and media moment. Stay with us. Hey, you got to be older, baby. Thanks, man. I want to be 
want some other payback, so, yeah. I want to run for president, and the focal point when I'm campaigning is to put FEMA to work on a plantation at Camp David. Demand payment for New Orleans with the best of swordsmen. Launching missiles at the White House while tanks performing. On the lawn and I just let them burn till death's confirmed. Laid the rest with worms, cause otherwise they'll never learn. I form a coup attempt with anthrax through the fence. From out a package I got in the mail that you just sent. But I got a better punishment for these Republicans. I'd let them live so they could see us overthrow the government. Let's with them. Have the first lady off till my launched and I across the face like Peter North. And I won't leave a doubt what we about when I or leave a drought bleeding out on Condoleezza's couch. I'll seek this route without regrets and drink a brew that think of you. Cause if it's the last f***ing thing I do, I'll That was hip-hop artist Immortal Technique, who performs tonight at the Fillmore in Silver Spring with Cypress Hill. Also tonight, this month, marked 48 years since the revolutionary hero Che Guevara was assassinated in Bolivia. In his honor, the Latin American Film Club is presenting the film Che, the Argentine, tonight at 7 p.m. at the Bolivarian Hall 2445 Massachusetts Avenue Northwest in Washington, D.C. Space is limited to the first 100 people to arrive. Also tonight, the 30th Annual Mayor's Arts Awards are at the Lincoln Theater on U Street. And also on U Street, this Saturday, there will be a walk on on U Street exploring D.C.'s lesser-known history with historian Rahul Amin Kwander, who joins us in the studio this morning. Good morning, Rahul Amin. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. So there are some really fascinating facts on your kind of announcement for the tour that U Street was known as Black Broadway, that much of the Victorian architecture that we see was designed by black architects, and that the White Law Hotel was the first luxury hotel for African Americans in segregated Washington. So I guess I had two questions. So are all these locations on the announcement included on your tour? And where is the White Law Hotel? And I'm really curious about that name. Like, is it what it sounds like, the White Law of Segregation? Well, almost everything you said is correct. Now, the part about the White Law Hotel, actually that just coincidentally happened to be his name. His name was James White Law Lewis. And he was the one who constructed that hotel, and it opened in, uh, I believe it was 1913, at the corner of 13th and S, and then he, 13th and T. And then he also um, was the one who uh, founded the Industrial Bank of Washington. Okay. And that was later taken over by the Mitchell family, which currently operates it. But yes, it's called Black Broadway, and most of the theaters that were there, that were put there in the 1920s or before, are still there. And when we go and talk on U Street Tour on Saturday, I will point out where some of those theaters used to be, where other buildings are currently on the site right now. Okay. And I was wondering, like, you have... In terms of researching these locations, are you constantly finding out, like, new facts in your research? Well, as a licensed District of Columbia tour guide mm-hmm. and taking a walking tour along U Street, many people ride by it and just take things for granted, except they don't know that there's, a, there's often a hidden history or a story behind it. Or what did that building used to be? or who used to live there, or what used to take place there. So when we take these tours, we look at the obvious and we look at the not-so-obvious. We try to find the story behind the story, and many of the things we take for granted today, we learn what were the contributing factors back in 1920, 30, 40, 50, and it brought it to its present status today. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I grew up in a, a very old city, Philadelphia, so I was always fascinated with old buildings as a child. I saw a lot of buildings change right before, my, you know, just in my lifetime that uh, they were either converted or destroyed by fire, and uh, I've seen cities just transform. So we've certainly seen a lot of that happen in D.C. Uh, so this Saturday, the walking tour meets at 9.50 a.m. and departs at 10 a.m. sharp. It ends at uh, 12, 
I'm sorry, it departs at 10 a.m. sharp, and then it ends at 12 noon. They're going to depart at 14th and U Street Northwest here in Washington, D.C., and if you want to get more information, you can contact Milagros at 301-332-5782 or email wholenessindiversity at gmail.com, 301-332-5782 or email wholenessindiversity at gmail.com. Thank you for joining me this morning. Come join us on Saturday. Okay, I'd love to. Thank you very much. Okay, so those are our happenings. When we come back, the fight back for women's reproductive health. Stay with us. That was the Queen of Soul on Thursday's Community Watch and Comment, the On the Ground edition. I'm Esther Averam. I'm Chantel James. And I'm Brianna Rollinson. Uh, thanks for joining us, Chantel. Well, it had a little parking problems there. <laughs> okay. For this segment, we're on the ground with activists in the fight for women's health. Now, even though, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision, which made abortion legal in this country 42 years ago, remains the law of the land, there is a persistent movement to outlaw a woman's right to choose based on those recently released deceptively edited videos showing a Planned Parenthood staffer discussing donated fetal tissue for research. Republicans in Congress have held hearings, attempted to defund Planned Parenthood, and have even threatened to shut down the government in order to attempt the defunding. So in this crazy circus that is the Republican presidential primary, the leaders and I think you've heard them, Ben Carson and Donald Trump, they seem to be jockeying to appear to be the most opposed to a woman's right to choose. In the meantime, Planned Parenthood offices have been defunded, some have been vandalized and destroyed by the fringe of this anti-abortion movement and which has in the past committed acts of violence and even murder. The state of Texas also just raided a Planned Parenthood office and seized patient records. So with me in studio to discuss this fight for reproductive health and rights is Miranda Blue, Senior Researcher for Special Projects at People for the American Way, where she writes the Right Wing Watch blog, which monitors and documents the ongoing activities of right wing activists, including anti-choice figures. Her recent publications include the report Operation Rescue's Big Break, how an organization rooted in the radical fringes of the anti-choice movement is threatening to shut down the government. Good morning, Miranda. Good morning. Thanks for having me. 
And joining us via Skype is Crystal Redmond, Executive Director for Spark, Reproductive Justice Now, based in Atlanta. Good morning, Crystal. Good morning. How's everyone? Good morning. Thanks for joining me. Well, Miranda, let's start with you. What is the latest? I understand that Texas officials actually raided several Planned Parenthood facilities, and that was after the state's Republican leaders barred the Women's Health Group from receiving state Medicaid money. Yes, that's true. So Texas is on the forefront of this effort to uh, chip away at Planned Parenthood's funding and ultimately, they hope, to outlaw abortion. And the rating of Planned Parenthood offices is really kind of shocking. Um, They're asking for personal patient records of women who have had abortions. Um, And this is sort of a... Is that legal? I mean, <laughs> I mean, aren't there HIPAA laws in terms of your private records of it? You know, I'm not a lawyer, so <laughs> I'm not sure, but it doesn't sound great to me. <laughs> yeah. um, and But it, it's sort of a state version of what a lot of the radical pro-life activists have been doing for a long time, which is trying to dig up information on abortion providers and even abortion patients in mm. order to get at... Um, get out abortion clinics and try to shut them down. And it's really a violation of women's privacy, and it's really disturbing. Right. Okay. Now, uh, I'm wondering, is Texas the only state that has been successful in this type of ban? I know Arkansas and Louisiana, they attempted bans but were blocked by a judge. Right. Arkansas and Louisiana's um, attempts to cut off Medicaid funding to Planned Parenthood have been have been blocked. Um, but a few states, including Texas, have been able to... Um, cut off other forms of funding. Um, so in Texas, before they tried this Medicaid to cut off Medicaid funding, which is a joint federal-state program, um, they barred Planned Parenthood from receiving funds through a Texas Women's Health Program. And what that did was that women didn't go to other providers. Um, a lot of times there weren't other providers, but many women were just left without care. And I guess just one more follow-up on this in this line of questioning. I do know that there was a big controversy not that long ago about the attempt by Congress to interfere with how D.C. Uh, funded abortions or uh, federal federal funds for abortion. Do, do you know the status of that? You know, I'm afraid I don't know what's going on with that now. Okay. So, so Crystal... What kinds of, and I, I should mention that to let our listeners know more about you, you have more than 10 years of experience in managing low-income and women-focused public health access and community-based youth development programs. And before your current position, you served as the Senior Project Director, Maternal and Child Health at the Georgia Department of Public Health, You know where you worked on creating greater health care access for women throughout the state of Georgia, and you've also worked as a program director and administrator for organizing serving low-income youth and as a clinical director for a community-based addiction prevention program. So I wanted to mention all those great things about you so people would know more about you. So I want to ask you, what kinds of health services are being impacted? From where you sit, what kinds of health services are being impacted now? And how many women are potentially impacted by this type of, of defunding and really harassment of Planned Parenthood? I want to back up just a little bit and, um, well, one, can everyone hear me? Yes, can hear me? Mm-hmm. I can. Right. And just basically say that with also the government requesting these um, files, patient records, or what have you, um, I mean, there's the legal aspect, but it also as a patient, that's another barrier for me to come in and get services. If, you know, speaking to our community base and, and women in our community, there's so many unjust barriers out there, but an added element is the fact that if I go and seek services in this office, where will my patient records go? And this is this is a treatment that is is should be confidential, private, and and um, up to myself. So uh, the, just that kind of threat of not knowing where my information will go is a barrier in itself. So um, not just the legal aspect, but also just looking at um, other restrictions and accessing healthcare, um, just with those uh, that message there. So that's one. But also with um, just potential healthcare threats. Um, and, and a, a little bit more information, you know, I, I'm a public health physician, so um, a lot of the things that I look at is really health disparities and, and really looking at um, barriers to access to care that will enhance those health disparities and, and trying to eliminate those barriers. 
And if there are, are any type of future cuttings of federal funding, remember our federal funding does not cover abortion services. So you're really looking at cuts for birth control, um, STI, STD um, screenings, prevention and treatment, cancer screening. So many of the services that um, uh, our sexual reproductive health uh, clinics provide are so much greater than just abortion services. Most of the services are preventative care services, educational services, looking at comprehensive sexual education, which is a huge um, access um, uh, barrier in regards to just individuals in the South not having that um, knowledge and information. So you're looking at um, restrictions to birth control, uh, just basic um, barrier methods uh, to prevent someone from contracting an STD or STI or either preventing uh, unintended pregnancy. So I think those are the potential risks of um, the defunding here. You know, what you just mentioned is really what I was going to talk about next because it, it seems that by restricting women's access to birth control services as other type of reproductive services, you're actually preventing, uh, you're actually causing possibly someone to have an unintended pregnancy, which, which they don't want either. So it's, uh, it's kind of, you know, backward. So I wanted to also ask you, you know, what your studies have told you about how working and poor women in particular are impacted by these types of disruption of services. I, I suppose it's just more intensified if you don't have money to pay. Absolutely. So it's definitely more intensified. You know, our rates of um, unattended pregnancy are disproportionately higher than other groups, on specifically white women, um, specifically in, in the South and in Georgia. Um, so, so then women, particularly black women and women of color, are left to make the decision of should I pay for my rent or my lights being turned off or should I pay for an abortion service um, so or, or any type of um, women's health service. And that's not a decision, that's a decision no one should have to make. Um, the fact that should they, in, in most women who are seeking an abortion, and I can speak for statistics in Georgia, um, are, already have either one child um, or more, um, one plus more child in their household. So then the decision becomes, should I pay for, um, well, with the holidays, for instance, coming up, should it, will my child be able to have a Christmas gift or, you know, clothes for the new school, for school or, or what have you, or food at the table, or should I um, go ahead and have this abortion because, um, if I do not seek this abortion, it pushes me deeper into poverty. Um, and then what will my, will the life of my two children then look like at that point? Um, and then what decisions will I have to make at that point? So um, I think those are the potential risks there too as well. You know, Miranda, I, I saw an article not that long ago, and it was just basically saying, you know, well, what are these Republicans offering instead to women as they oppose abortion? And it said, well, they're not offering more uh, funding for child care. They're not, uh, they're very hostile toward public education where your child could go to school for free. They're not necessarily offering anything, in t they're hostile to Obamacare, which would, give your your child health care so what have you seen in terms of your your blog this the right wing watch and i'll definitely check out that blog it sounds really Thanks. interesting <laughs> but what have you seen in terms of what what are they saying when they when they oppose abortion what are they offering instead um well you get right at it they aren't <laughs> offering much in, um <laughs> instead and i think that's a really important point to note that these are two sides of the same coin and that the movement to legalize abortion was part of this movement to um increase access to child care um to increase access to women's health care and that they've all um all of those in issues are intertwined as much as the anti choice movement would like you to think that it is just interest in abortion rights it's a holistic um it's a holistic set of priorities. Mm -hmm. And what the um, anti-choice, anti-Planned Parenthood set is saying is that there are plenty of health care centers that can take care of all of women's needs if Planned Parenthood disappears overnight. Um, and the alternatives that they're offering are in a lot of cases not really alternatives. Um, RH Reality Check, which is a great website that does research on reproductive health care, um, called a bunch of the healthcare centers the anti-choice activists say can replace Planned Parenthood. They got um, one healthcare center that was in a prison that 
takes care of people in the prison, but you couldn't just drop in as a member of the community. Um, there were healthcare centers in schools that you couldn't just drop in as a member, as a woman in the community. Um, and they're also promoting um, crisis pregnancy centers, which are which are healthcare centers that try to discourage women from abortion. And a lot of these centers don't provide contraception, um, are ideologically against contraception. So really, it's they don't really have much of an alternative. Right. So in a lot of this discussion, that seems to be an underlying fact that isn't discussed, that that in addition to opposing abortion, a lot of these same people actually oppose contraception. So there's a larger agenda here that is uh, really kind of crazy and scary to me when I really think about it. It's very um, true. And I mean, if you think about the Hobby Lobby case, which was this major um, project of the religious right recently, they wanted to keep women from accessing affordable contraception. So I think that the anti-choice movement doesn't want to stop at abortion rights. They want to go further towards legal contraception and widely available contraception. Yeah, I remember, I, I think it may have been at the state center, in, a state senator in Ohio, she started a movement. I think she had a, like a t-shirt that said, like, stay out of my panties. <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, Stay out. Right. But um, so what we want to do right now is to go to a brief break. And and when I, we come back, we want to invite the listeners to call in. You call in by dialing 202-588-0893. That's 202-588-0893 to join this discussion around a woman's right to choose. Uh, I do want to follow up with you, Crystal, about... You know, things that particularly pertain to the African-American community, we have people, in addition to the the fundamentalists that we, you know, these people, the Operation Rescue and these kind of really far fringe people, you know, we have people also in the African-American community who oppose abortion. Uh, we also heard um, at the Justice or Else March, uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan, for example, discouraged black women from having abortion. And this was on uh, a national platform um, in, before a national and international audience. So we definitely don't want to leave that out or ignore that. So uh, when we come back, uh, you can join the discussion, and we'll be right back. UNITY by Queen Latifah on Thursday's Community Watch and Comment, the On the Ground edition. On the Ground Show.org. I'm Esther Varum. I'm Chantal James. I'm Brianna Wallace. And we're in conversation with Miranda Blue, senior researcher for special projects at the People for the American Way, about the attacks on Planned Parenthood and a woman's reproductive health and rights. And Crystal Redman, executive director for Spark, Reproductive Justice Now in Atlanta. And again, you can join the discussion by calling 202-588-0893. So let me follow up with you, uh, Crystal, first. You know, we've had these kinds of attacks coming from a particular place, you know, far-right extremists, a particular wing of, you know, Christian fundamentalists. But uh, these edited videos and the Republican candidates for president have given 
you know, anti-abortion rhetoric, you know, much of its crazy rhetoric, uh, a national platform. Um, and I want to play uh, comments from Dr. Ben Carson, he's a, a brain surgeon. A for, um, he's he's running for president, and this quote from him begins with a question from NBC's Chuck Todd. What if somebody has an unwanted pregnancy? Should they have the right to terminate? No. Think about this. Uh, during slavery, and I know that's one of those words you're not supposed to say, but I'm saying it. During slavery, a lot of the slave owners thought that they had the right to do whatever they wanted to that slave. Anything that they chose to do. And, uh, you know, what if the abolitionist had said, you know, I don't believe in slavery. I think it's wrong. But you guys do whatever you want to do. Where would we be? So, Crystal, I wanted to get you to react to that. What did you think of after you heard that? So, one, so many thoughts go through my mind, and the first word is just ignorance. And and can you guys hear me okay? Still? Yes, yes. Got it. Um, so, so the comparison, first and foremost, of slavery to a woman's right, like natural given right to self-determine over her body, just pure self-autonomy. Um, a woman's autonomy deals specifically with equality um, and being able to make a decision that's best for her and, and, and her life and her family um, to her own body. Slavery, the, the lives of slaves was not connected to the white body. There's the black body and there's the white body. Um, a woman's body is her own body. So to, to give an analogy of, um, you know, the governing of someone else's body is in comparison to the governing of my own body, it just makes no sense whatsoever. So that's, that's just one. Um, slavery in itself is the opposite, the complete opposite of what we are fighting for. Um, so, so what we're fighting for is equality, equity, and, and, and the ability to self-determine and, and make decisions over our body. That's completely opposite of what slavery was about. So, I mean, like I said, my, the first word that came through my head was just ignorance. Like, these, these comments, they're just belligerent, contentious. I, I think they're said for the shock and awe, but if you really think about it, I mean, there's just no merit to it. So that's just my initial response. I can probably speak for hours about this. This man, right? But but also following up, you know, more more common than these kinds of crazy comments by you know Ben Carson. There are fundamentalists in the African American community that oppose abortion, and like I said before the break, we even heard Minister Louis Farrakhan implore black women to not have an abortion. So, what is your response to either this kind of fundamentalism? You know, we have you know very you know very religious you know Bible-based Christians in the African American community, or on the other hand, kind of more of a nationalist bent that you know started during the 1960s that you know where they talk about abortion being genocide for black people and and how this talk impacts black women who want to end a pregnancy well, well one i think i think the idea of like population control genocide or, or what have you has to deal with force sterilization and and the history behind that compared to what we're saying is our ability to choose and make the best choice for ourselves um so i, I don't think there's a comparison there um so there's a complete difference between self-determination and someone else's determination um so that's one but with what the minister was stating uh, about his own experience and his mother's experience um and, and trying to uh, i think he said something in the, under the fact that uh, she attempted three times and was unsuccessful and you know decided to carry on her pregnancy or what have you and and his statements were around you know black women specifically should not get an abortion um, because who knows what that potential child could become the next president or the next Malcolm X or what have you. And and um, it, it, it just, I think his statements speak more towards just black women in hopes of having them to, um, you know, have this, this family image of, of what could be or what have you. And, that, and that's great. But the only thing is, like, we're not speaking in the now. Black women in our community, specifically lower income communities, are having a basic struggle of living paycheck to paycheck and, and just accessing care, just general mm -hmm. health care. Mm -hmm. So if, if their um, health rates are disproportionately just in favor than um, their white counterparts or what have you, then adding a child to that mix is, is not 
going to make it better, you know. Um, right. So I, I think we're forgetting about the, the current picture here. Um, and then removing a woman's right, God-given right, to, to access services or to do what is right for herself um, in, in her situation doesn't make the situation better. So, um, so okay. I mean, that's, that's just my response to that. Okay. Now we do have a couple callers. Uh so I'm going to go to the phone lines right now and uh you know, make your uh comment concise and we'll go to the first caller now. Just say your first name and where you're calling from. Hello? Yeah, you're on the air. Yes, my name is Mass. I'm calling from D C. You know, every time I hear these Margaret Singer disciples talk about the woman's right to choose to cure their child, I have uh I, I wonder how many of them uh, wish they were aborted. And if all these abortions are from rape, then we need to be talking about this epidemic of rape that's going on. Uh, now, if you are going to um, talk about a woman's and, and when, uh, if we are going to talk about Black Lives Matter, I wonder if these unboarded, uh, un, unborn babies' lives matter as well. And last, I want to say this. Uh, do you know that they are using the border fetus, putting border fetuses in the food supply? So every time you drink a Pepsi or eat something from Nestle or, or all these other things, they're putting the border fetus parts in the, in the food supply. Uh, that's really, uh, like, uh, you know, I don't cut people off, but I think that we're getting into cr- crazy land here. Uh, okay, let's go to the next call. I'll get your first name and where you're calling from. Good, mo- uh, good morning, Aster, and good morning to your guest, Tespa from Arlington. Good morning, Tespa. I want to say, being pro-life is good, but it's being used as a deception. It is a deception. Nobody is against life. Everybody is for life. But the, the extreme right wing the extreme right-wing Tea Party and the extreme Republicans are using this issue to deceive us. They are deceptive. Why do I say this? I will give you my reason and my evidence. My reason is, if somebody cares about life, they should care about senior citizens who have to choose between their prescription medicine and dinner and we live in America that is built by senior citizens, and senior citizens are going through what I just said. And then the children, already born children, are not allowed, according to the extreme right wing, to have even dental care right. and health care. Why? Let me give you the evidence. Look, look, the leader of the Tea Party, Big Army, is getting paid 50,000, was getting paid $50,000 a month for lobbying for the dictators in Ethiopia who, who commit genocide. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Tesfa, uh, for, for your call and your comments. You know, I wanted, Miranda, to make sure that we talked about something you mentioned on your blog. You... Uh, revealed how this group producing this video is really an offshoot of this extremist organization that people have more familiarity with, Operation Rescue. And uh, can you tell us about that? Sure. So um, the group that produced these videos that we've all seen or heard of um, is called the Center for Medical Progress, and it's a very small, very new group run by a pretty young guy named David Delighton. Um, But the evidence shows that Daleiden has been working from the very beginning with a group based out of Wichita, Kansas, called Operation Rescue. Um, People might have heard of Operation Rescue from um, the 1980s and early 1990s when, under its leader, Randall Terry, um, this group staged what it called rescues, where it would get hundreds of people to literally block the door of an abortion clinic to keep women from going in. Um, And this was sort of a pioneering tactic in the anti-choice movement. The group has changed a little bit now. It's now run by a guy named Troy Newman, um, and it moved to, Troy Newman moved this group to Wichita, Kansas, to go specifically after an abortion provider named George Tiller. Who was murdered. Who was murdered in 2009 um, by someone who had sort of been hanging out at the fringes of Operation Rescue. He wasn't an official member, and they distanced themselves from him, but he had been 
um, very evidently um, influenced by this activism. So this is a pretty extreme group that's a little bit shoved to the side, even within the anti-choice movement. Um, and this has been sort of, as I wrote in this report, a big break for them, that they have been, in a lot of ways, behind this story that has really exploded um, throughout the country. Hmm. It's really interesting. I, I think that a lot of people don't know that. And uh, I was really interested to, to read that in your blog. But we do have another caller. I'll go to the caller now. Just say your first name and where you're calling from. First of all, good morning, my sisters. Every other, my name is Alan. I'm calling from Baltimore, and I have had direct, uh, I guess, contact. I used to, I, I would, I, I, I led the longest pro-choice demonstration in Maryland's history in front of the Greater Baltimore Medical Center in support of their right to give women abortion. Mm-hmm. And I have seen these people close up and real personal. Mm. I had one person come up to me and say, "Quote unquote." You're lucky I'm nonviolent, otherwise I'd follow you home and kill you. Mm. So much so much for that. And, um, and so much for being pro life, right? <laughs> right. And, and you know, and I've also seen a little fear on the side of the the, the respectable pro choice people like Planned Parenthood who say, Well, we can't get into a confrontation. And when you're right at their right they're right at your door, they're all you're already in a confrontation. So I, I get disturbed about that, and I also get disturbed about certain nationalists and certain pacifists, especially the Seamless Garment Network and the, the Catholic Worker, who somehow equate genocide with uh, a woman's right to control her own body. Remember that the, the first thing the Nazis did before rounding up communists and before sending Jews to concentration camps was to have the league against homosexuality and abortion and any woman who miscarried was investigated by the police. Mm. Well, it's time for men to step back and say, this is my sister's body. I will protect her right by any legitimate means I can do. If it means my life is taken for, for her right to choose, then so be it. That this is a human right that we cannot let women um, be shackled by unwanted pregnancy, then it's time to let women step back forward, not only for their equal place in society, but for leadership, too. Thank you very much. May your spirits be high, your stress level be low, and your luck run better than average. Okay. Thank you, Ellen. We have another call. Just say your first name and where you're calling from. Hi, my name is MC, and I'm calling from Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm trying to kind of understand this. Um, I think for a long time, I consider myself pro-choice. I think I, I, I actually still think that a woman, a woman should have the right to choose what she wants to do with her body. However, I think the argument about abortion and um, choice it should be more focused on something that your guest said. She talked about a woman making the choice to, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, but making the choice to have a child against um having her necessities taking care of her lights, her, um, you know, a, a place to live, her, her rent, food, things like that. And, and because of the economic um, condition that a lot of women find themselves in, especially minority women, the choice is to bring another life forward or to just live and um, be sustained. I think the issue is about why they have to make that choice. Why are things so bad for us as far as our equity with um, the economy, uh, how we um, provide for ourselves? We're not talking about the inequity, but we've given the solution is to stop procreating. And I think that's where things are distorted. I'm not talking about issues of uh, incest or um, rape or things like that. I still understand that there are a condition where the... The, the, the life of the, the mother is in jeopardy. I still think those are very personal choices, but I think the overall blanket to allow, you know, um, the dialogue about abortion, we need to focus on why are we, we asking that our women have abortions because they can't af- 
afford to sustain themselves economically or bring okay. another life into the world. Okay. So Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, it, it's very interesting. I heard someone say recently, they pointed out the fact that, uh, you know, this issue becomes very complex because there are a lot of women who are professional women, educated, they have resources, but they don't have a partner and they choose not to have children, you know, alone. They choose not to have a child. And so you have a lot of people who have the means, but also do not want to put themselves in the position of being a single parent. And, 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 that, and that's also an issue as well. So I think I have one more caller and just say your first name and where you're calling from. Hi, Brenda from Northwest. Hi, Brenda. Uh, how are you? Um, I just want to remind, and I was reminded this morning listening to uh, Democracy Now! Yeah, I have 30 Dr. seconds. <laughs> Dr. Ben Carson used to uh, refer women for abortions who wanted them right. when he was practicing. So he's talking out of several sides of his mouth, and, and thank you for this great show. Okay, and thank you for calling. So I'm going to have to start to to wind up, but I do know I wanted to do want to mention Miranda that People for the American Way has a petition drive that has already collected. The last time I looked, like like sixty three, sixty four thousand signatures to uh, characterize attacks on parent parenthood facilities as domestic terrorism, and uh, so I want to make sure I point people to that. It's on your website, right? PeopleForTheAmericanWay.org. Yes. It's uh, www.pfaw.org. Right. So I definitely want to do that. And any final thoughts? Thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that the. Um, that it's very important now for everyone who believes in a woman's right to choose and to have autonomy over her own body to speak up and to take part in protests. Um, the anti-choice movement is really being revitalized right now, and they need and to hear... And funded. Yeah. And funded, and mm -hmm. they need to hear that there are many, many people on the other side. And Crystal, uh, any final thoughts? Yes, I, I definitely echo those statements, but also with the idea of it's not just being about pro-choice, it's pro-equality and pro-justice. So um, just looking beyond just the fact of this is solely just about the choice to have an abortion, but it's about having the ability to make um, self-determining decisions over our bodies, regardless what that looks like. All right. That will do it for us on Thursday's uh, Community Watching Comment. I've been speaking with Miranda Blue, Senior Researcher for Special Projects at People for the American Way. Thank you, Miranda. Thanks for having me. And Crystal Redman, Executive Director for Spark Reproductive Justice Now in Atlanta. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you. Again, okay, um, that'll do it for us. I'm Esther Vera. I'm Chantal James. And I'm Brianna Rollins. And we're out of time. We, d we don't have to go home, but we have to get the hell out of here. All right, thanks. Uh, all our guests today again, and to Michael Byfield, DJ Wahid, and to Red Eagle on the board. <laughs> and thank you for supporting your station for Jazz and Justice. You can reach the show at onthegroundshow.org, where you can now listen to all of our shows and past shows. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On the Ground Show. Now stay tuned for the news, followed by Krista Property on the Thursday edition of Don't Forget the Blues. Raise your voice out there. Peace.